You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast for interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 103. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Glenn Dyer, who writes historical thrillers set during World War II. Uh, Glenn has long been fascinated with the World War II, and he used that and his passion uh, for historical thrillers uh, to begin writing his uh, Connor Thorne series. The uh, Torch Betrayal was the uh, first book in that series, and The Ultra Betrayal was uh, published on uh, June 9th. I was very excited to talk to Glenn. I've been a lot fascinated with World War II myself, especially with the OSS, the uh, precursor to the CIA, uh, which uh, features prominently in his books. And so we'll be talking to uh, Glenn about that and a whole lot more. So stay tuned for my interview with Glenn Dyer coming right up. And I'd like to ask you to please uh, remember to rate and review this uh, podcast wherever it is you're listening to it, wherever it is you're subscribed. Helps me get the word out uh, by if you take some time to rate it and review it. So I appreciate you helping me get the word out about the uh, podcast. For show notes and other interviews, uh, make sure to check out the uh, website at uh, thrillerauthors.com. Okay, here is my interview with uh, Glenn Dyer. Hey everybody, this is uh, Alan with Meet the Thriller Author, and uh, today we are talking with uh, uh, Glenn uh, Dyer, and so happy to have him here on the podcast on Zoom. How are you doing uh, this afternoon, Glenn? I am doing fine, Alan. I'm uh, very grateful, uh, I'm, and can't believe I'm actually talking to you. Uh, you've, you've had some pretty high-power authors on your podcast uh, that I've enjoyed listening to, and I'm uh, very happy, thrilled, and humbled to be amongst them. So thanks for having me. Oh, great. Well, thank you for uh, for coming on. I'm excited to talk to you. I've been, uh, I told you offline before, I've been a, I was a big fan of the OSS, and we'll get into all that uh, as we get going here, but uh, I really like the the hook or of your books. But, but before we get into all that, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so um, I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, um, Got uh, very, very lucky. Uh, I picked a, uh, uh, a major in college in broadcasting and film. And uh, in that particular career choice, it's very hard to get your first job. Uh, it's very important uh, to know somebody already in the business because it was, was at least in the late 70s, mid to late 70s, still, still a pretty small business. Cable hadn't grown to the degree it, it, it has to this point in time. And I was lucky enough to get a roommate in my uh, junior year in college who was already working in the, the television business. And uh, uh, we became fast friends. I got to meet his friends who also worked in the business and was lucky enough to get a job right out of college. And uh, I stayed in uh, the broadcasting business for about 37 years. Uh, it moved me and my family around from Massachusetts to Utah to Dallas, Fort Worth, to Washington, D.C., to Denver, and then back to Utah. So um, the moving was tough, but, you know, it was something you had to do in order to grow within the business. And then um, I always had an interest in writing, going back to my senior year in high school, and dabbled in it during my broadcasting career, but never worked at it on a full-time basis, was always distracted by my, my career and raising a family. And, and I guess I just wasn't disciplined enough uh, during those years. But when I did take an early retirement and we came back out here to Park City, Utah, 
it was uh, one of those moments where it was uh, put up or shut up. And uh, I decided to, uh, you know, you know, follow through and at least crank out a, a draft, a full manuscript draft of an idea that I had been working on, on and off for a number of years. And uh, so uh, that, that, that got things going. And uh, I took, you know, there's so much advice out there about not just how you write a, a novel, but also, you know, the publishing business. And uh, I read early on that it would make a great deal of sense if you wrote uh, a series. One book sort of helps the sales of the next book and, and so on. So I, I came up with a, uh, a set of characters and I based those characters during a time uh, of uh, history that I had a great interest in since uh, I was a young, young kid growing up in New Jersey, and that was World War II. And uh, I figured out that, uh, you know, the OSS uh, had a bunch of extremely colorful characters uh, in it, uh, led by a very colorful character in uh, William Donovan. And uh, so it was, uh, you know, from there, uh, things kind of came together. And uh, I'm about ready to release the second book in this series and am currently working on the third book. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, once I paid attention to or, or worked full time at it, I was able to uh, pull things together. Although each, each book is a challenge unto itself. It gets only just a little bit easier uh, with the, the next book. Uh, but it, it's it's always a challenge. So uh, <clears throat> that's sort of been my journey. Yeah, I've interviewed uh, over 100 authors already at all different levels, and all of them suffer about uh, worry about that. And even no matter even no matter level of success, they're like worried about the imposter syndrome and uh, <laughs> and all that. So I don't think it gets any easier. <laughs> no, I, it, it really doesn't. Um, uh, yeah, each each project had, has its own challenges. So, mm -hmm. and for me too, um, um, uh, actual the 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 writing process itself, uh, it isn't as challenging as the plotting uh, process for me. And and uh, I am an outliner, and w without an outline, I, I I'll just I'll keep going around in circles. So I learned that lesson very very early on that I I need a pretty uh, well fleshed out uh, detailed outline so uh, that's the cha most challenging part for me and was the torch betrayal was that the first book that, that you published that's your first one yes it, it was and um, I, I mentioned i worked on it for a number of years and i'm reluctant to say but i will that uh, i worked on it on and off for almost 20 years um, I, I think the one uh, danger for me and i think for a lot of people who are writing historical fiction is you can you can really get immersed in their research and uh, if it's a time period that you you've always had an interest in uh, you you can get mired in the research you just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper and you you realize oh my gosh i haven't written a word in two weeks <laughs> uh so um yeah that that's the fun part of it uh, but but I, I've gotten more disciplined uh, about that. Uh, uh, to this, with my last book, I, I did as much research as I felt was necessary to help 
tell a compelling uh, and uh, believable uh, story. Um, and then if there was something I want to go back after, you know, out of pleasure, I can always do that. So. And that's the, uh, the second book is coming out in June, right? That's the uh, Ultra betray uh, Betrayal. Yes. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about that story and tell us about the corn, uh, Connor Thorne? Yeah. So um, like the first book, um, I, I, I thought it would be interesting if uh, the, the premise of, of the story for the first book, second book, and the third book was inspired by some historical event, um, you know, some mystery, some uh, questionable situation that maybe uh, the, the end result wasn't uh, reported. Um, and I thought that that would sort of be a nice leaping off point uh, to build a story around. So in, in book one, I read about a, um, uh, uh, a document that was, uh, uh, that was going to be a part of uh, General Eisenhower's wartime diary. Uh, and this document had uh, the key directives for Operation Torch. Uh, and, the, and this document went missing during a process of microfilming. Um, and the document uh, was never found. And uh, this information was reported by uh, Eisenhower's uh, naval aide, uh, Harry Butcher. And I just thought, well, if the invasion still occurred, uh, something must have happened to the document that they felt secure enough about to, to not postpone the invasion. So I built a story about around that event. In the second book, uh, I, I came across in my research uh, a story about a, um, a Polish uh, engineer who was Jewish who uh, worked in a, a German factory uh, that was building Enigma uh, machines. And these machines were used to send and receive coded uh, messages from, uh, you know, the high commands down to, you know, forces in the field. Uh, he uh, sold some information to the British uh, to help them figure out uh, how to break the Enigma codes. Um, he was flown when the Germans uh, were uh, closing in on Paris. He was flown uh, to safety in England. Uh, and then as uh, soon as he arrived, uh, a couple days later, he went missing. So this, this, this engineer mathematician who had direct knowledge of uh, the, the level of success of the British in breaking German codes, he goes missing and is never found. For me, that was a nice leaping off point too. So the, the story about uh, the, the ultra betrayal is, uh, Connor Thorne and uh, his uh, partner, uh, Emily Bright, are uh, eventually assigned the mission of tracking down this uh, traitor uh, before he can uh, consummate a deal with the Nazis. Um, and and that, uh, that whole adventure takes them to um, Stockholm, uh, Sweden. Um, and uh, I thought that that setting uh, was a little bit different than, you know, Paris and, you know, even Lisbon. I mean, uh, Stockholm was uh, like Lisbon and some other uh, uh, neutral country capitals was a real hotbed of espionage and something that not a lot of people 
were aware of, I felt. So I thought that was a very good setting. So I, I like the idea of, a, of, a, of an actual event being the inspiration for the story. Uh, it, I, for me, at least, it makes it a little more uh, interesting. Yes, that, I love that stuff. I like um, one of my favorite books is uh, Ken uh, Follett's Eye of the Needle, which is all about the Allied invasion of Normandy. So it kind of reminds me of these. Yeah, uh, yeah. A, a classic uh, World War II spy book, uh, probably one of the one of the top five that were ever written about that time. Yeah. So how is it? The, is that a challenge for you, though, to uh, Keep it, you know, all the spy thriller, the action elements that uh, thriller readers want, but then, you know, staying true to the history. How how challenging is that? Yeah, you know, uh, it is. It's it's very challenging. Um, uh, as you know, in 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 certain genres, you have conventions that readers expect, uh, and then when you layer on the fact that uh, the thriller takes place uh, in, in in a historical environment. There's certain things uh, that readers will accept um, and certain things that as soon as they stumble across them, and if they're not right, they put the book down. So you, you do have to be careful. Um, my, uh, the books that I write do include uh, real historical characters like uh, Bill Donovan and uh, Churchill. And uh, I throw in uh, some cameos from people like uh, the actress Hedy Lamarr and David Niven and, and, you know, you know, the words you put in their mouths have to reflect who their characters were and the type of people they were. Um, you can't really have them acting against what historically happened. You might want to, you know, massage when something happened by, you know, for dramatic purposes by maybe, you know, a few days or a week or two. But you've got to be very, very careful. And, um, and, and to, you know, writers get tripped up all the time about using wrong terminology or, you know, saying somebody, you know, was riding in a car that in that particular year hadn't been introduced. And <laughs> you just don't want to get tripped up with things like that. So, which is why you, you, you do have to spend a good deal of time on um, your, your research. And those are things that a good, even a good editor, uh, you can't rely on them for, to, to find, you know, that's, mm. that's up to you to do. So yeah, it's a challenge. And yet uh, it, it is a little, if you like history, it's sort of thrilling writing a scene, you know, that takes place between uh, Winston Churchill and, uh, and uh, General Eisenhower. Uh, you know, you, you want to be true to events, but you're also trying to write a, a, a dramatic piece of literature. So, and just in case people don't know, the OSS was the precursor of the CIA, um, right? And a lot of uh, like you mentioned before that had a lot of uh, great quirky characters or strange characters. And I remember, yeah, something like the CIA. Jesus James Angleton was a big uh, uh, counterintelligence guy in the CIA, and he started in the OSS. A lot of those old guys started in the OSS. Yeah. Is that, um, uh, is that why, what drew, drew to you as well? And it wasn't Donovan, it was a Wild Bill, right? He was his Wild nickname? Bill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, na a nickname that he, uh, he got from his, uh, his days uh, in uh, World War I, where he was a very dynamic and successful uh, 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 leader in the Army. And uh, he, he happened to know uh, President Roosevelt, became a, 
uh, a prote not a protege, but an almost an envoy. And uh, before the uh, United States got into the war, spent a lot of time in England uh, talking to members of British intelligence. And he, he was tasked by uh, Roosevelt to uh, go over and and see what's going on and come back with some sort of conclusion as to whether uh, the British are going to make it through the early uh, uh, years of the war. And uh, so he did a lot of work and uh, got very cozy with a lot of people in uh, British intelligence. And uh, it convinced him that the United States, who at that point in time, as, as late as 1940, really didn't have um, an aggressive uh, intelligence operation. Each, you know, the Army did, you know, the Navy, uh, the Navy did, uh, but um, there, there wasn't an overall organization that coordinated uh, intelligence gathering. So uh, he convinced the FDR uh, of the need and, uh, and uh, in a way he went. And uh, he attracted a lot, of, uh, a lot of people from Ivy League schools, a lot of people who were, uh, had very interesting uh, personalities, I think everybody has heard that, you know, Julia Child was a member of the OSS and Sterling Hayden, who uh, was a famous uh, actor in Hollywood, uh, had a very colorful OSS career. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of people that were in the OSS uh, who came out of the war and never spoke of their activities, but it, it, he, he attracted an eclectic group of people uh, the British thought they were all, you know, cowboys and uh, you know, acted uh, in an undisciplined way, couldn't keep secrets, were, were impulsive and spontaneous. And uh, so a lot of those characteristic, characteristics I gave to uh, my main protagonist, Connor Thorne, as a, uh, you know, a guy who acted impulsively and sometimes uh, like a bull in a china shop. And He's, uh, he's been a fun character to get to know and, and to write about. Do you have uh, one specific uh, historical character in mind when you were writing, uh, developing Connor, or is it from all different sorts of different people? Yeah, you know, um, and actually, you know, they, they say it's good to have a, uh, a real-life uh, Hollywood character uh, that sort of uh, exemplifies uh, your your protagonist's uh, attitude or character. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it has nothing to do with World War II, the OSS, but the actor Chris Pine, who uh, played a young uh, you know, Captain Kirk in the Star Wars movies, no, that's Star Wars, Star Trek movies, uh, you know, acted very impulsively, uh, didn't follow orders, thought he knew what was right, you know, did a lot of things from his gut that was able to lead and convince others to follow him. I, I kind of liked that as a uh, foundation of the character. Um, but, you know, it, what I've read about the OSS, uh, uh, colorful characters were the uh, norm and uh, with, with uh, you know, backgrounds that in some cases go back to World War I. Um, uh, but people who just wanted to continue to serve their country, but couldn't do so in the military. So they, they raised their hand and said to Bill Donovan, you know, I'm your guy, you know, uh, I, I know how this works. 
you know, take me on. So, uh, yeah, so I, I'd have to say that that's, he's probably a composite character as far as OSS agents are concerned, but, you know, something uh, uh, fresh in my mind, like a Chris Pine as Captain Kirk was helpful in figuring out what Connor would do in certain situations. Yeah, it's interesting. I I saw a movie a few months ago. Uh, the Catcher was a spy. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Mo Berg. I didn't realize he was an OSS, the baseball star. Yeah, uh, he had a really interesting uh, career uh, with the OSS, especially later in the war when uh, things, as far as the Axis was concerned, or or by that point in time, just Germany was looking really, really bleak. In fact, my third book does revolve around the German atomic bomb program. And, uh, you know, as you remember in the movie, he was tasked with uh, contacting Werner Heisenberg, who was heading up the German atomic bomb program and to sort of ascertain just how far along the Germans were in, in actually uh, building a bomb. And uh, the movie was, was, uh, was pretty good. Uh, and the research I'm doing right now, uh, Heisenberg was a very interesting character uh, uh, himself. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even realize he was a, a an actual uh, person. I just I don't know if you're familiar with that TV show Breaking Bad, but that's uh, Walter White uses that as an alias Heisenberg, and uh, it was based oh, on, you know on I that haven't guy. Watched, <laughs> I haven't watched all seasons, and I've only watched a handful of episodes, but I I did not know that. Yeah, his, it's like his favorite uh, chemist <laughs> was Heisenberg. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so what's your writing process like then? Once you're, got all, you're ready to sit down and start writing, can you kind of walk us through just uh, – I know it's hard to say what's your uh, 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 regular uh, writing day like, but what's it like? <laughs> well, um, I, I, as I said, I, I, I'm definitely a, a plotter, and so I, I need to have that that's pretty solid outline. And – um, like Lee Goldberg said, one of your previous guests, he's, he outlines, doesn't go crazy with the length of the outline, but uh, he, he has a living outline. And I think that's really smart to have because once you get into the story, you realize, okay, it works, but maybe not as good as I wanted it to. Maybe I need to go back in and tweak my outline. So it, it for me, it starts with uh, a solid outline. But But even before that, like I said, I I like to find a piece of history that, you know, could present as a part of a premise, a, a good what if. And uh, um, if I can find that that event, you know, that somebody might be interested in what the answer is or how something got solved. Uh, I, then I work on the outline, add as much research into it as I think I need to start the writing process. And then for me, like I said, the writing um, you know, I'll, I have good days, I have bad days, and uh, um, you try to stick with it when you're having a really good day, when things are flowing, and not just, not just from a word count standpoint, but that the words you're writing just really feel good, and uh, uh, you, you, you just feel like you're in a zone. So I, I, don't, uh, I don't have a word count goal on a daily basis. Uh, I don't feel like... Uh, I don't, I'm one of the types who doesn't want to force the issue if one day just doesn't feel right. Maybe what I do on that day is do some book marketing, some outreach, 
you know, take a look at, you know, what I can do with social media that I hadn't done in a while. Uh, you know, all those necessary evils. So yeah, I, I try to be, uh, I, I try to be a little forgiving as far as, you know, how much I do and how, how often I do it. But once I, I have my outline, I definitely want to, uh, keep momentum going uh, to the best of my ability. And just to get that first really crappy uh, first draft done. And then I take a little bit of a break, maybe a couple of weeks, let it percolate a little bit and, um, and, then, uh, and then go back and, and probably before I send anything to an editor, I'll probably do two or three more drafts. Um, I, I just started with my second book sending my outline out before I started to write just to see if I was on the right track. And, and that, that saves some time. And I'll, I definitely will continue to do that. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Send the outline to an editor or? Yeah. Uh, oh. You know, developmental editor, just mm. to, just to see if, um, you know, uh, listen, there's still so much to learn about the yeah. writing process. And, and I admit that I'm a novice. I'm still learning a lot. And, um, you know, I'm definitely smart enough to listen to advice. And if I'm missing some big elements, if my subplots just aren't working or getting in the way, if my, uh, if my main antagonist isn't, isn't bad enough, or if I haven't clearly stated what their goals are, I mean, you know, uh, I think it saves a lot of time. So, uh, it, it, and, and that helps keep the writing uh, momentum going too when you're not stopping down often to, you know, ask yourself the question, you know, is my antagonist mean enough? Well, it's already been asked. It's already been answered. So. And what, uh, what tools do you use to, uh, to write your, your stories? Is this like Word or another writing processor? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I have to admit that I have, uh, I have owned Scrivener for uh, maybe six years <laughs> And um, every time I hear an author say they can't live without it, you know, like, you know, Joanna Penn, I, I, I then go back and try to get my head back into it. And each time I do, I get a little further along, but um, I still find it um, really um, complicated. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty good technically, but again, still learning a lot. Uh, so in the meantime, what I what I typically do is work, uh, write in Word, uh, which is it can be cumbersome, especially when you want to start moving uh, scenes and chapters around. There's you know a lot of uh, you know cutting, copying, and pasting, and that can get kind of old. So um, once uh, once I get this outline for book three done, uh, I think uh, I'm going to spend a good couple of weeks with Scrivener to see if I can't. Uh, uh, you know, get, get the most out of it for this next book. Um, I, I'm again, going to give it another whack and we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think um, I had, yeah, I think I had scripted for, for several years too, before I, f I finally clicked together. Cause yeah, it's at first it could be a little overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, but you know, the, the new release, uh, I've taken some uh, tutorials, uh, does seem to offer up a lot of, uh, baked in tools that, that I think help, uh, help writers pull manuscripts together. Yeah. 
So were you a fan of the, the spy thrillers, like thrillers in, in general uh, as a reader before you started to uh, write your own books? Yeah, I, I think I'd read a great deal of World War II f historical fiction. Um, I, I had read a, a ton of W.E.B. Griffin books. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got, you know, a couple of series based in World War II, but, you know, other series based on... Uh, uh, you know, uh, Vietnam and CIA and so on. Um, I, I think that one of the, the first books that I read that uh, I, I just got so interested in was uh, uh, Herman Woke's book, The um, Winds of War and War and Remembrance. I think, you know, he, he evoked, you know, the, the, the setting of before the United States got into the war, but what people living in Italy before the war started, but what life was like. And one of the things that interested me about World War II is that it was such a catastrophic, tumultuous event that impacted so, so many people, either directly or indirectly. Uh, you know, unfortunately, much like the, the COVID crisis is doing right now, uh, with, with, you know, gratefully not as much loss of life, but um, the fact that uh, it, it was in some ways a romantic time, uh, a time that people hearken back to as, you know, the, the good old days, even though there was a lot of uh, terror attached to it. But, you know, some of those books for me evoked a time that I, I could, you know, could immerse myself in and sort of get lost in and, you uh, and uh, I think for a long time, I always wanted to write a book that could take somebody back and make them really feel what it was like uh, to, to live through, you know, that, that period of time of uncertainty, of great loss, of deprivation. Uh, you know, you know it, just, uh, it just still boggles my mind, the, the amount of countries, the, the loss of life, the amount of destruction. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I've read a, a lot of books and, uh, uh, both, uh, and by the way, not, not just fiction, but nonfiction too. There's some, some great books out there, uh, that really get down into the weeds as far as, uh, what happened and why things happened and, uh, and so on. So. Yeah, I think that's great too, that you're keeping up the, that history alive, because I would imagine that I believe most of the. What was that now? So we were talking about 70, 80 years ago that this happened. And I'm sure yep. a lot of the OSS agents are, are probably not having, are starting to die off now. Probably not too many of them left yep. now. You're right. Um, you're right. When I, one of the things uh, that I do, and I, I sort of uh, have taken this uh, cue from uh, Steve Barry, who, who writes the Cotton Malone series. Uh, his books are deeply immersed in, in, historical phenomena and events and uh, things, uh, and historical mysteries. And one of the things that he does besides writing great thrillers is uh, at, at the back uh, of his book, he'll, he'll explain things, the historical background of certain things, what was real, what he might have played with dramatically, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, I, I learn a lot from that section. Uh, his author notes. And I, I've, I've done that with uh, my first two books. And just to let people know, you know, 
where did I play with things dramatically? Um, maybe going into greater detail about something I mentioned briefly in the book, giving uh, you know readers uh, you know titles of books I used in my research that if they were interested might want to go back and read about. Um, and I think that I'd like to think that's helpful uh, in keeping uh, the history of that event fresh for people. Yeah, and I also noticed you got a great blurb from uh, Steve Barry. That's, yeah, uh, on book. Uh, book one and book two. And I got a, uh, I was very pleased to get a really nice blurb from uh, Jack Carr, who's, uh, who's pretty, uh, pretty hot right now as a uh, thriller writer. His third book was, uh, just became a bestseller, uh, a New York Times bestseller. So uh, really pleased that he liked what he read. So. So, uh, so what's next then for you? You say you're working on the third book. What's next for you and uh, Connor? Yeah, you know, so um, as I said, I was, uh, I've been doing research on the German atomic program, uh, but it, that, that the idea uh, germinated from some uh, piece of research that I stumbled upon. Uh, there was an Italian physicist who was apparently an ex extremely brilliant theoretician who uh, in 1938 uh, went missing and uh, his, his body uh, it was never found uh, a lot of people think he was he attempted suicide while uh, on a ship going from uh, Palermo to Naples and um, so he disappeared and uh, uh, speaking of uh, Warner Heisenberg, uh, the two of them were very, very close friends. So I'm going to build a story about uh, what happened to this Italian physicist, uh, and it will involve Heisenberg and the Germans needing some help with their program and uh, discovering that that uh, this is, uh, physicist uh, is is still alive. And um, uh, I think uh, I'm going to have him hiding in a monastery somewhere. So, you know, Connor, you know, OSS finds out about it and Connor is uh, put in charge of uh, tracking down uh, the uh, physicists before the Germans can. And it's sort of a race against the clock. Um, so um, I've been doing a lot of research on the physicists. His name is Ettore Majorana. And he, uh, even Enrico Fermi said he was uh, uh, as brilliant as Galileo and Newton. So, uh, mm. He was he was quite an interesting uh, man. So that that's what I'm doing uh, researching right now, and hope to be deep in the reading uh, writing process uh, in maybe another uh, four weeks. So we'll see. Awesome. And so the second book, the uh, uh, Ultra Betrayal, that's out in June. Right. June 9th. Uh, it's uh, available for pre-order uh, right now, uh, and. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, June 9th, I'm a few months behind because the edit process took a little longer than uh, I anticipated, but uh, you know, finally the, the, the date's around the corner. Great, yeah, look, looking forward to it. And uh, so before I let you go, I always ask uh, my guests uh, any uh, advice for aspiring writers that are uh, watching or listening to this? Well, first of all, I would say, uh, if you harbor a desire to write a novel, don't wait until you're, you know, 60 years old like I was. <laughs> um, it doesn't give you much, uh, you know, uh, 
time to you know crank out a 10, 10 book series. Um, but I, uh, I think the, the one big piece of that advice is that th there's a lot to learn, not just about, uh, you know, writing uh, or marketing or just a publishing business in general, but you, you need to reach out for help. Uh, it may cost you something, but I think uh, if, uh, if you're really serious about writing, you, you've got to invest in yourself. And I think finding that that editor you really like and work well with, finding a, a book cover designer who really uh, knows their stuff and that you also work well with. Uh, the, you know, you'll benefit from that on a long-term basis. So, you know, uh, seeking advice, even if you have to pay for it. And, um, and you know, if, you, if you're serious about it, you gotta get busy. You gotta be more disciplined than I was. So I think those are the two big pieces of advice. Great. That's great advice. And then uh, people can find you at uh, your website, uh, glendyer.net. Is that the best That's, place? That's it. And um, yeah, uh, you know, the, the website's a, a constant uh, uh, project in development. But yeah, that, that's a good place to get me. And uh, you could also reach me direct on glendyerauthor at gmail.com. So both work well. Okay, great. All right, Glenn, thanks so much uh, for being on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking with you. Alan, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it.